for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We're in the series, Love God, Love People, which is a deeper dive into how to live out the great commandment found in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. We're in the first half of the series, focusing on the part of the scripture that reads, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Loving God with our strength means we love God with our muchness, with all of our resources. Today's episode, Loving God with Our Strength. Here's Pastor Brian Jones. Well, good morning, Brookwood. How are you? Come on, I love it. Well, hey, if you have been with us, uh, we are in a series called Love God, Love People, and we are on our uh, fifth week of Love God, Love People. What I've been doing is walking through what is the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12. And uh, if you've been with us, one of the things I've mentioned is really when Jesus has asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, it's really a trap by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. Because in essence, they never think Jesus will answer correctly because there were 613 commandments they were following. And so they thought in their mind, there's no way Jesus can answer this question. But much to their surprise, he does answer and he says the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I've been unpacking that for years, I thought this was just a general or a relative kind of love. But Jesus actually means something specific in each one of these things. So first he says, love God with your heart, which is about your will or your commitment. In fact, the most important thing in your faith is that your heart has been transformed. But it is possible to have a heart that's been transformed and yet not love God with your soul. Because your soul really is your affections or your emotions. And so it's possible to not be emotionally integrated, to not have your soul and your pain and your problems really be worked on. And then I talked about the fact that God wants you to love him, not just with your heart, not just with your soul, but also with your mind. And when we talk about loving God with your mind, what this really means is that you don't just think affectionately about God, you learn to take on the mind of Christ. So he would direct and speak about how you do everything in your life. Now today, I'm speaking finally about what it means to love God with your strength. Now, this word strength is a little harder to define uh, because when you look at this word strength, this is actually being quoted. I mentioned this the first week, but it's being quoted. Jesus is, is quoting the greatest commandment par partly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, which is from the Shema prayer. This is a prayer that devout Jews would pray in the morning and the night, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, notice this word strength. This is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It is the word miod. Can you say that with me? Miod. Yes, indeed. It is used 300 times in the Old Testament. Only one time is this word miod actually translated as strength. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Every other time this word is used, it is really best translated as an adverb as the word very or much. And so this word miot is an interesting word because it's really just an adverb that's intensifying the meaning of other words around. So it's used oftentimes in the Bible like very this or very that. Very good, very bad, very big, very difficult. 
And just so you're very clear on what this looks like, let me give you one example of how this word meod is used in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the world, listen to what he says. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was meod good. He saw that it was very good. And so in essence, when you talk about this word meod, when you really talk about strength, the best definition of strength is to love God with your veriness or your muchness, which really is another way of saying you love God with everything you have, everything that is really outside of your body, your wealth, your resources, your time, everything that you have. In fact, in the ancient Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible, they actually translated this word strength to mean wealth. What I want you to see is it is wealth, but it's also more than that. It's wealth, it's your resources, it's your stuff, it's everything that you have. Now, I can't possibly spend today in 30 minutes unpacking loving God with everything you have, but I do want to zoom into one subject this morning when we talk about loving God with your strength. I want to zoom into what it means to love God with your resources and specifically everyone's favorite subject. Money, money, money. You're not as excited as you were when I first walked out on stage, huh? But why speak about money? Well, part of the reason is, do you know that Jesus speaks about money as much as almost any subject in the Bible? In addition to that, what's interesting is I heard a story a few years ago about Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is one of the richest men in, in the world, and there was a story that he talks about that really seized his heart with money when he was 10 years old. And he talked about how his father would go on this business trip and he, would, he took some of his clients on this business trip. And he said these were two wealthy clients and Warren Buffett was along for the ride at 10 years old. And he said he watched these two clients and the way they carried themselves, their strength and their posture. And so he was at dinner one night with the, his father and these two clients and he noticed that one of these clients, everything just seemed to revolve around him. People gave him favoritism. It seemed like he was pampered. And there was one moment where the waiter came over and he was actually showing him some different things. And, and he wanted a particular cigar, but he wanted a cigar with a particular type of leaf, a particular type of paper. And so he points to the leaf and the paper that he wants. This waiter rolls up this cigar, actually gives it to this client. And then this, this waiter lights this uh, cigar. And Warren Buffett said, whatever gets me that kind of treatment. He said at 10 years old, he talked about this in one of his books, whatever gets him that kind of favoritism and that kind of treatment, he said in that moment, he said, I want that life. At 10 years old at that moment, he decided he wanted to be the richest man in the world. A vision of money and wealth seized his heart at 10 years old. Now, part of the reason I tell you this is that if you and I do not have a vision for our life, the world will just write a story for us. If you don't have a vision about resources and money and what you're focused on, you will just fall prey to whatever story the world writes. And dare I say, it's just too small for your one life. And so in essence, there's an invitation in this passage we just read where Jesus calls us to think about the greater thing that we are living for. Now in the Bible, do you know there are two things, two things that you are supposed to run or flee from. Everything else in the Bible you are called to stand and fight. But there are two things in the Bible that you are called to actually run or flee from. Any guess on what those are? You probably should get one. Greed. Yep. The love of money. Any guess on the other? 
I think I heard it. Did you say sexual morality? Very proper, yes. Um, it is lust. And so every other thing in the Bible you're supposed to fight, but the two things you're supposed to run from are not money, it's the love of money, but it's also lust. Because these are the two things that are like quicksand. They are like traps that people fall into. Now, I, I want to say this. As we talk about money, the end goal is not to give, get people to give a bunch of money. That's not the end goal. What Jesus is really after here is a spirit of generosity in a culture of consumerism. Now, you think about this. If you ask me, what is my prayer that I've been praying as we talk about loving God with our strength, that is simply this. What does it look like for Brookwood to operate with a spirit of generosity in a culture of consumerism? What I mean by that is, think about this. Uh, in the Bible in Acts chapter two, it says that no one was in need, that everyone gave, no one was in need. It, it's because there were people who were giving with a spirit of generosity. And even think about this, there's nothing wrong with this, but oftentimes in churches, I've been like this. I will hear people say, hey, I walked into a church and it was big and no one said hello to me or my small group didn't reach out to me. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point is what Jesus is inviting people to do is to walk into this church and to walk into small groups and not think how can I be served, but to serve. And so what happens is imagine a small group where everyone's just trying to get their needs met. Jesus would never walk into a small group trying to get his needs met because he was operating with a spirit of generosity. He was constantly looking for those who are in need. And I just invite you for a moment. Brookwood is one of the most amazing places that loves people really, really well. But imagine what it would be like if everybody in this church, when they came, they started going, hey, I'm not showing up on Sunday to get my needs met. I'm going, how can I serve today? That's the invitation for a spirit of generosity. And here's the good news. Um, you guys are really, really generous in this church. So you don't have to sit there because I know the moment I spoke about money, everyone gets tense and they're wondering what the report card is going to be. But can I just say the spirit of generosity in this church is amazing. In fact, let me just say this so you know I'm not just making this up. Uh, when I first got here, there was a migration to move the giving platform we had. And so uh, JC and Josh and others said, hey, we have this resource that we're going to be moving our giving platform over. Do you know that the, the company that we did this giving platform, this is what they had to say about the people of Brookwood. Uh, they said that when they looked in 10 years of serving churches and over 600 church giving migrations, Brookwood Church has been one of the best. Isn't that amazing? You should be proud of the high level of response from reoccurring givers to move their gifts in only seven weeks. Also, the significant number of reoccurring gifts during the migration demonstrates the hope and the trust the congregation has in God. Amen. Isn't that amazing? And so this is not one of those things that I feel like Brookwood's failing in. I think I just look at it and go, this is amazing what's happening. In addition to that, I was just thinking, one of the things I love about the kids' ministry is they are actually teaching people how to have a spirit of generosity and a culture of consumerism. In fact, there's actually, you might see this if you've been in the children's space, there's actually this little dog that I didn't even know existed, but it's a place for kids to give their coins. I actually thought it was a trash can when I first saw it. True, <laughs> true note here. But Kevin Nunnery, who's our high school pastor, was literally saying, he's a four-year-old child, and he's saying one of the things he does and other parents do is they literally get their kids to do chores 
so they can teach them the value of generosity. So he gets his kid, his four-year-old, to fold laundry, gives them quarters, and they show up to the children's ministry and drop off money. Is that not amazing and convicting all at one time? Literally, I have four-year-olds, and I'm just happy if they're not biting each other. And Kevin has his kids paying taxes and pressure washing the house, doing all these different things. But the point that I want to make is simply this. What Jesus is calling us is not just to give a bunch of money. He's calling us to a spirit of generosity. Because if you aren't careful, what will end up happening with your kids and with your life is that you will get to the end of your life and you will think the goal is just to make a bunch of money so that you can retire comfortably, go on some trips, and buy some things. There is nothing evil with that. But dare I humbly submit that that vision is no different from everybody else who doesn't follow Jesus. And what he's saying, Jesus is going, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to invite you into a larger vision. So he says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And in essence, what he's saying is like, if your one vision for life is to get the new car, the new boat, the new thing, the new toy, the new relationship, what he wants you to understand is that fundamentally those things cannot alter your life and they cannot fill you up. And you see story after story of people on the outside who have everything. And yet what they will say time and time again, it is like the deep life, this greater life evades them. And so there is an invitation to think about what it is. And notice this, Jesus says, do not store up things. It's almost like he knows the default setting in our life is to store up stuff on this earth. If it wasn't the default setting, he wouldn't have to say it. But ultimately, he knows that the default setting is so often, if you're anything like me, I just become consumed and distracted by all the things that are happening here. And Jesus goes, that is not a good return on your investment. He says, in essence, don't focus on the things where moth and vermin destroy. In fact, based on this passage in Matthew chapter 6, if I was going to define treasure that you have in your program, I would define it like this. It is just junk waiting to happen. Junk waiting to happen. Think about all the things that are so important right now. At one day, that thing will be passed on, discarded, The thing that seems so significant after a while, it seems to, as Jesus says, collect moth or dust or it's destroyed. And so in essence, if we aren't careful, the thing we end up spending our lives on is just stuff that ends up deteriorating over the course of time. But what Jesus wants us to do, and this is important, he's not calling us just to give up our resources. He's calling us to actually store up Notice this, store up your treasures, store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust consume. Do you know that there is, for the first time really in human history, there's an interesting trend going on where men, for the first time in in human history, there's actually less men in church, there's less men engaged than ever before. So especially you have have young men who just go, you know what, I, I cannot catch a vision for the church. When you look at the statistics of the church decline, the number one category is men. And part of the reason I think this is, is because for so long when I grew up in the church, it felt like the end goal of what we're casting with Christianity is just to die to a bunch of ambition. 
And so it feels like what we're trying to do, if you're not careful, is like get people to give a bunch of resources, don't sin. That's not a compelling vision for a lot of people. And I want to say this to you this morning. If you're in a spot where you're disillusioned with Christianity or you think Christianity is boring or dull, let me just awaken you to this vision. I don't think God's afraid of your ambition. In fact, I would say however great your ambition is, it's actually too small. What Jesus wants is your ambition pointed at the right thing. And that's the name of Jesus. Because he's going every other thing your ambition goes after in this world, it's not a good return on investment. That thing's going to have moth or rust or it's going to be destroyed. But when you start focusing on the kingdom, what he says is that is a better investment than anything you can give your life to. Everything you do in the name of Jesus has eternal value. It lasts forever. And so in essence, what he's saying is don't miss this. Don't think that you're supposed to die to a bunch of desires. He wants to awaken you in the kingdom. See, Buddhist aim is to squash all ambition. Jesus', Jesus aim is to make sure ambition is pointed at the right thing, his kingdom. And so this is fundamentally challenging when you start to think about what it is that that looks like. You know, one of the things that I'm always amazed by is when I get around people who are PhDs. Because folks who are PhDs or have PhDs in certain areas, they see things that other people don't see in their field. And so they start to talk to you about different things. I think if you are going to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, you and I must become, we must become PhD students in the Bible and our identity. Like I'm not asking, do you know that God loves you? I'm asking you this question, do you this morning really know who you are in Jesus? Those are two fundamentally different things. For years, I knew that Jesus loved me, but I had no idea the promises and the identity this book revealed about who I am this morning. And so my question is, do you really know who you are this morning? And I could go through, there are hundreds of things the Bible says. Let me just give you a few things the Bible says you are. First of all, you are God's possession. You are God's child. You are God's craftsmanship. You are God's friend. You are God's temple. You are God's co-heir. You are God's co-labor. You are God's witness. You are God's soldier. You are God's chosen. Hey, I'm just going to warn you. If you give me some response, I preach quicker. This is too good of content for you to be sitting there, all right? <laughs> Pretend like you're in a Clemson game for crying out loud. So let me try this one more time, all right? Do you know who you are this morning? All right, good, you're with me. Let me just say this one more time. This is not the masses. This is you, the individual, even if you don't feel it this morning. Because I imagine there's some of you in this room, you've come here and you are just distracted, your heart's divided. Let me just speak this truth over you. It doesn't matter what you feel, this is who you are if you're in Jesus. You are his possession, you are his child, you are his craftsmanship, you are his friend, you are his temple, you are his co-heir, you are his co-labor, you are his witness, you are his soldier, you are chosen, you are light in the darkness, you are healed by his stripes, you are a city on a hill, you are more than a conqueror and you are set free from sin. That's who you are this morning. Like a bunch of people who want to get out on time. Amen. <laughs> the reason I say this in a money talk is this. I have never, ever, ever met someone who understands their identity and does not give generously. Because if you go, this God has lavished this richly, those blessings, you cannot help but to give back. It's just a byproduct. 
It's not obligation or duty or guilt that causes us to give. It's slowing down and understanding everything I have is in Jesus Christ and I have eternal value in him. The stuff of this world starts to grow strangely dim when that becomes a reality for me. And so it's not that you don't go after things. It's not even that you don't have resources. It's just that your identity goes, this thing is so much greater. And part of the reason we don't give sometimes is we're just unaware. Like, I'll confess to you this morning just to make you feel good. I'm doing a talk on money, and I realized I haven't been tithing correctly because I had auto pay done at my last church, and I'm speaking on this going, I got to do some things right. And so part of it is is just busyness. But there's another reason sometimes we don't like to give, and Jesus says this is one of the reasons. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And let me just say this in your program, what you treasure, your heart will follow. What you treasure, your heart will follow. Let me just give you this example. You don't have to walk into a room and tell people what you're passionate about. You spend a day with someone, you find out what they're passionate about. You don't have to tell someone you're passionate about finances. You start telling them your spending habits and they start analyzing those things and giving you tools a day in because it's just what they're passionate about. You don't have to tell people you're passionate about certain sports teams like college teams. This is a subject for another time. I love you guys, but you're a little cultish with some of your teams. I'm just saying. (laughs) But you don't have to tell someone, oh, I'm a Clemson fan or I'm a Carolina fan. We see it. You talk about it. You wear clothes about those things. It's just, it comes out. It bleeds out of who you are. You've never found someone like all of a sudden one day you see them and it's like, what are you doing? And they're putting a Clemson bumper sticker on their car. And they're getting one of those tiger paws putting it on their mantle, and you ask them, what are you doing? They'll never say to you, well, I'm trying to fall in love with Clemson. So I feel like if I just put this stuff out there, it might help me fall in love with Clemson. You don't, you don't, people don't do that. What they do is what it is that you treasure, your heart will follow. What your heart follows, you will invest those things with your time and your resources and your money. So because you're, you're treasuring Clemson, because your heart's going after those things, you just invest time, money, and resources. What's the point I'm making? If you treasure Jesus, your heart will follow that and there will be an investment of time and resources. It's just that simple. And so let me say something that seems sharp and I don't mean it sharp at all. If Jesus is not first in your finances, then he's not first in your life. And you go, well, don't make it. Don't be that pastor, Brian. Don't be that. I love Brookwood because we don't make it about God and money and all these other things, but Jesus does. This is what he says here. What you treasure, your heart will follow. And so if I treasure resources above all else, if I treasure the stuff of this world, it is going to be very hard for me to give. But if I treasure God above all, everything in my life will model that. Now, let me just illustrate this. If you really believe, and I believed, and I struggle with this, so this is a full confession. If you and I really believe that everything we have, everything we have is from God, and we are simple stewards, it would be way easier for us to give. If I really believe that everything I have is actually from God, then it would be way easier for me to give. In fact, let me illustrate this because I'm not, I'm not convinced that you guys are with me on this point. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you right now to pull out your wallet or your or your purse or whatever. What do they call the woman's thing? What is it, Randy? Pocketbook. pocketbook. That's it. Pull out your pocketbook. Don't just stand there. I'm watching all of you. Pull out your pocketbook. Pull out your wallet. And here's what I want you to do. Hold it up right here. 
And just for a second, I want you to give it to the person beside you. Just for a second, I want you to give it to the person beside you. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a time to give back to God. And whatever you choose to give, of those resources, give. Some of you are going, I haven't given in a year. This is going to be my biggest tithe to date. All right, I'm going to lose some of you. Give, your, give the wallets back right now. Now, as, as humorous as it is, the point applies that if I really was giving from your resources, it'd be way easier for me to give. And if I really believe that everything, everything, everything I have has simply been entrusted to me by God, I will give differently. I think there's three ways you can approach money. Let me just say it like this. Uh, the first way you can approach money is what's mine is mine, and that's a spirit of selfishness. So you go, hey, I've earned everything. I've done everything. I don't have to give. I don't want to give. I don't want to do this. And that's selfishness. But there's another way, which is what's yours is mine, and that's stealing, unless it's the government. They just call it socialism. Whoa, whoa. Now you clap. Now you clap. Or what's mine is God's, and that's stewardship. And so the invitation is for us to understand that everything we have been entrusted with really is from God. Every resource you've been given is has been blessed by God. And people go, well, hey, I'm the one who's done this, but where did you get the talents? Where'd you get the gifts? Where'd you get the opportunities? I mean, I was telling someone the other day, it's by God's kindness alone, not any of my experience, not any of my talent, not any of my accolades that allows me to stand on this stage. It's God's kindness. And so we got to be careful that we don't think we have done this, we have earned this. Everything we have is from God. And I'll just encourage you with this. God loves to bless people. He loves to bless people. You know, I had this moment the other day. We sold our house and uh, I was driving down the road. I remember what road. It was FM 544. We had sold our house, and we had made a, a pretty good profit off this house. And I remember when I was driving, I felt like the Holy Spirit just sort of asked me this question. He said, what are you going to give? And honestly, I, I'd said, I hadn't planned on giving you anything. <laughs> and I knew that answer wouldn't be sufficient, so I said, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. So I went back, and I started praying. I felt like what God put on my heart was that we just give 10% of the interest that we had made off this house. So I give this money. We, we buy this house. We get this, this check for the sale of our house. And then we start looking at all the renovations we're going to do on this new house we got. And I'm telling you, I had a moment, even though I, I felt in my heart I was supposed to give this money, I had a moment, a check in my spirit where I'm like, God, we've got all these things to do on this house. We don't even have enough budget to do half of these things. And this chunk that I'm going to give you is going to affect it. And so I'm wrestling through this. And then I just said, you know what? God, everything I have is from you. I'm just going to steward this. I give this. We go get some quotes on some different uh, uh, renovations we're doing. And then we get a second quote after we got a first quote. And I tell you this, it came back uh, half price of the first quote. And here's what staggered me. It was within $200 of the exact amount that I had given right before we moved here. Right before we moved here. And the reason I say this is that you cannot outgive a generous God. You just can't do it. 
And, and what this means is, is that I believe when we give faithfully, for whatever reason, God chooses to bless us. Now, it might not be financially, but I believe that every time we give faithfully, God blesses us. It could be relationally, it could be emotionally, it could be physically, it could be in your work. Here's the important part. I never gave $1 expecting to get anything in return, but it's out of a transformed heart that you give, and for whatever reason, God in his kindness and God in his goodness chooses to bless his children. It's just in the Father heart of God. That's why it bothers me when people talk bad about the tithe. Because theologically speaking, when you think about this, uh, Jesus really is God's tithe. Think about this. When you think about it theologically speaking, Jesus really is God's tithe. Listen to what it says in Revelation 1.5. And from Christ Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It says that Jesus was the firstborn. He was God's son sent to die. God gave his first and he gave his best to us. And so we don't give out of obligation. We don't give out of this sense of responsibility. It's when we see these things, it starts to transform the generosity in our hearts. And can I just encourage you with this? Because for years, I wish someone would have told me this. For years, I, I waited even as a pastor to give because we didn't have the resources. I mean, I remember when my wife and I got married, we were drinking Kool-Aid and eating ramen noodles every night. And so to this day, if I never see Kool-Aid again, I'll be a happy man. But I remember, I never thought about this, and honestly, I just excused myself because I thought, we don't have the money to even pay for food half the time. But I learned something after a while. Someone challenged me on this principle that we think oftentimes once you get a bunch of money, it will be either easier to give, but a lot of times it's not. If you're not faithful right now with what little you have, it's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart of generosity, a spirit of generosity. That's why, remember what Jesus says about the woman who gives these two mites? It's not a huge amount. In fact, there are people giving way more money than this woman does. But listen to what it says in Luke chapter 21, verse 2. Then a poor widow came and dropped two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. And so it's not about the amount you give. It's about creating a heart of generosity. And money in many ways is just the litmus test for those things. Jesus goes on to say this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, there was a phrase with the ancient Jewish culture called the evil eye. And it was a phrase used to describe greedy people who would not help a brother or a sister in need. In fact, if you go to the Middle East or if you go to certain you know, uh, places like Israel, you go to you know, Arab countries, they actually have these amulets you'll see that have like a hand and an eye. And what they really believe is that they're warding off this evil spirit called the evil eye. And that's part of what Jesus was referring to in this culture because the folks believe that. But notice what he says again. He says, if your eyes are, are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, in essence, what he wants us to understand is think about what he said right before. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And how do you do that? It really is determined by what you are focused on, what you are looking at, what you are studying, what your eyes are fixed on. So if you struggle with generosity or you're struggling right now to live for God, can I just encourage you? Jesus is clear here. Get your eyes on him. 
If I spend all day on Netflix, if I spend all day looking at the resources of other people, if I spend all day just watching TV, then what's going to happen is I'm going to be so consumed by the stuff here and there. And so what Jesus is saying here is get your eyes fixed on his kingdom. Get in the Bible and start to orchestrate a larger vision. Instead of going, hey, I want to be like this person, start going, hey, I want to be like Gideon. I want to be like Peter. I want to be like Anna. I want to be like Mary. I want to get my eyes fixed on Jesus because it's a better return on investment. And Jesus isn't shaming people. He's going, you have one shot at this life. You have one shot. Do not spend your life on stuff that does not have a good return on investment. But everything you do in the name of Jesus, every prayer you pray, every dollar you give, every person you serve, every verse you bless people with, there is eternal value in that. Jesus says, get your eyes fixed on those things. And he goes on to say this in Matthew 6, 25. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me say maybe one of the most important parts of my talk right here. This is not about being rich or being poor. A lot of people think that being rich is bad and being poor is good. Now, we don't really believe in a prosperity gospel that what all God's chief focus on our lives is just to bless us and give us a bunch of resources. But the flip side of that is some people think, well, we believe a poverty gospel, which is ultimately God doesn't want me to be successful and he doesn't want me to be wealthy, and that could not be further from the truth. What the Bible is distinguishing here is the difference between greedy and generous. It's not about being rich or poor. In fact, I know some rich people who are some of the most generous people on planet Earth. I also know some rich people who are very greedy. The flip side of that is I know some poor people who are some of the most generous people on planet Earth. And I also know some poor people who are some of the most greedy people on planet Earth. It's not distinguishing between rich and poor. It is distinguishing between greedy and generous. In fact, what, there's a friend of mine who years ago was about to come work at a church. And let me just say this to free you up because some of you, you have a gift for business. And I had a friend of mine who had a gift for business and, and she wanted to come work at the church. And as we started talking and praying, she really felt like God was calling her to use her gift of business to make a bunch of resources and bless other people. And that's part of her calling in life is that she's called to use those resources in a radical way. So here's what I want to do in your program. This is really between you and God. We're not going to have you turn in anything. This is not something I'm trying to get information. This is between you and God. But in your, in your card, you, you, in your uh, program, you'll see a little card here. When we talk about giving, some people go, this is great, but, but what do you want me to do with giving? Some of you, you're not in a place where you've ever given before, and it's overwhelming to think about giving a bunch. What I'm asking you to do is just take a small step and whatever giving looks like. And there's four ways that you can actually think about giving, and you'll see it on this card. The first is... Maybe if you're giving nothing, you start just giving something. It can be occasionally, it can be once in a while, but you go, hey, I feel like God's called me to give something. Maybe you're in a spot where you do give occasionally, but what you're being called to do is give something specific, a specific part of your salary or a specific part of your resources. Or maybe for you, it's specific to tithe. And you're giving a specific amount, but you're going, hey, I want to just give the, the full tithe. I want to give 10%. Or maybe for you, I hated this when I read this in a book. But for years, I gave my tithe and then just stopped thinking about money. 
But there's an invitation to move from tied to spirit-led, meaning what is God calling you specifically in your finances to give? So here's what I want to do as we close out. I want you just between you and God, because I know some of us will get super busy, life will happen. But what I want you to do is uh, they're just going to sing a song over us. I don't want you to stand. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to take this card and in your heart between you and God, pray about what it is that your next step could be. And I, I don't, you don't even have to circle this. This is just a card for you to keep. You're not turning this in anywhere. It's just for you to hold on to as a reminder of what it means to love God with your strength. So as they sing over you, I just want you to take a moment, again, before we dismiss, and just pray about what a next step could be in your giving. So take this moment right now. So we close, uh, I'm gonna invite the, uh, the prayer counselors to come up, but I just wanna say this as we close. If you need prayer, if you need anything, we'd love to support you. Uh, every day I come home, I have an eight-year-old and two four-year-olds, and uh, the way that my kids respond is very different. My eight-year-old, I walk in the house, and uh, there are times that I've walked in the house and I've stood there for three minutes and he has not even known that I'm in the house, usually because he's distracted watching TV. But my four-year-old girls, every single time I come home, they are at the door waiting for me. In fact, the other day, uh, I got back, and when I, when I walked in the door, they had made me these pictures. And I was just thinking about that this morning. You know, I didn't come home as a father expecting or needing something from my kids. I didn't come home and go, hey, if you don't give me this, then I'm going to be real disappointed. But I'm telling you this, those kids, those twin girls, when they hand me those pictures, they move my father hard. I just want to encourage you with the most important thing. God is not needy. He's got all the resources in heaven. He's not wondering how he's going to build his church, what he's going to do. When we talk about giving a spirit of generosity, it is an invitation for you and I to move the Father heart of God. Imagine what it's like when God sees his children and go, hey, I trust you with everything, first things first. That is the spirit of generosity that I'm praying takes a hold of this church. Not obligation, not duty, so whatever that next step is. Do it in a spirit of joy because you have a father who is worthy of it all, a father who doesn't need anything, but a father who calls you child. So let me just pray for our time together. Holy Spirit, we love you. I pray for just the spirit of generosity to increase, starting even in me, God. I pray that, that this would be something that you invite us to think about, how it is that we are orchestrating our resources. I pray that there would be no shame, just an invitation to step into the greater life and fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So it's our desire, God, to live for the greater thing, to store up treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust consume. We thank you, God, that we are your children. And that even small things like giving a little bit of resources can move the Father heart of God. And God, it's just our desire to not give our lives, our service, our time, our hearts, or our resources out of obligation, but out of the overflow of a transformed life in the Spirit of God. So we just pray this all in the amazing, mighty, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Everyone agreed and said... Amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us for the Sunday Message Podcast. This week for your spiritual practice, identify two practical ways to help you shift your focus to eternal things. Start by asking God to help you see Him as your ultimate treasure and provider. 
Here's your memory verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the next episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast, we'll continue the series, Love God, Love People. To prepare, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review so that others can discover how to have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.